From VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the VinePair Podcast, Monday edition. I mean, uh, wow, March is crazy. It's just like we're just, we're just marching on through, right? <laughs> Man, you ready to be a dad? You got those dad jokes on deck. <laughs> what have you been drinking, Zach? Uh, good question. So a couple of things lately that have been enjoyable. So um, you'll probably hear me reference this thing a lot in the coming months because it's like this weird, it's become this weird crusade of mine. Mm. Um, well, two of them, actually. I have two that are that are sort of relevant. One is um, drink a really nice bottle of DOCG Prosecco um, from Colalto the other day. And I just, people do not drink enough DOCG Prosecco. Like it is, this is like my hobby. One of my hobby horses for 2023 is like, it's there's so much excellent prosecco out there. Mm-hmm. It's so much more affordable than like even in a lot of cases like your sort of uh, standard bottlings of champagne to say nothing of your more high end bottlings. And it's just like it gets it's the fucking Rodney Dangerfield of of wine. It gets no respect. Um, sorry, that is an old person reference. I am an officially almost an old person, so um, I, I'll try to think of someone who is a, a more contemporary person. But um, it's just. Yeah, I, I I really enjoy Prosecco. I find myself drinking more and more of the of these DOCG bottlings, and uh, I just am I'm like on the one hand I'm like I guess I would, should not be lobbying for it to become more popular because right now it's uh, alarmingly affordable. But I, I do believe that it's a uh, a category that should because it's so weird because like Prosecco as a category is so incredibly popular, and yet these slightly higher end bottlings. And again, we're talking about like bottles that retail for twenty. Five thirty dollars we're yeah. not talking like 75 dollars bottles of prosecco here i mean it's hard to find a bottle over 50 dollars unless you really look and many of these great bottles are like i said like 25 30 bucks retail and yet it's just like you can't i mean you can find them but just people are not buying them i don't think i don't i'm still trying to investigate why this is um one day I hope to have an article on fine pair about this like struggling to get people to t- explain to me why they don't sell prosecco or why they don't carry prosecco but um yeah, so that was one thing. And then the other is like my, uh, so we're in the early stages of uh, Taste Washington Wine Month here. Uh, next weekend, I'll be at a uh, very large, uh, or this coming weekend, I suppose, a very large uh, conference, which will be the first time that they've held it since 2019, because uh, it was one of the first things that I recall being uh, intending to attend that got canceled uh, when COVID cropped up in 2020. But it's just been this like interesting you know, it's like this great chance for me to to get a little bit more of a feel for what's going on in the local wine industry. I'm sure I will have some comments next week about what I've tasted. But um, the one thing that I had recently that I really enjoyed uh, was just a, a beautiful bottle of Merlot from Bats Family Winery here in Washington. They're Clota Bats, which is, again, a Merlot-centric blend. You know, I'm out, I guess I'm out here caping for all the, like, unpopular things. Expensive Prosecco, well, relatively expensive Prosecco, <laughs> Merlot. <sighs> you know, that's that's me today. How about you, Adam? What you been drinking? Uh, so I mentioned on Friday, like uh, one of the wines that I, like a few of the wines I had in, um, Napa. So we don't have to really talk much more about that. I, like I said, I thought it was a little, it was crazy that I didn't drink a lot of, uh, Napa or Sonoma wines. I, the only two that I had was that one night, uh, that one fateful night. Uh, <laughs> so when I came back, uh, kind of took some, a break, but then towards the end of last week, actually, Naomi had the gala, uh, for her, uh, for her organization that she's the executive director of her nonprofit. And so, uh, there was an open bar. Um, and everyone always asks me like what they should order. Every time I walk into the bar, like, Oh, are you Naomi's husband? Oh, you have the, you have vine. Cool. What should we order? <laughs> it's like, there's so much pressure. Um, the one thing is that like there was a, they had vermouth on the bar. 
but no shaker, so they couldn't make anyone martinis. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I had some Knob Creek, uh, you know, nine year, which was great. And that's really all I've had recently, you know, like a glass or two, trying to keep my, keep it all together for Naomi and just like be there. And uh, we're seated at different tables because I had to like, be with the young patrons table, but it was, uh, so, so not a lot, man, <laughs> not a lot at all. I'm looking forward to, uh, to, you know, maybe getting ready to not drink as much, or maybe drink more. I don't know. In fatherhood, you tell me <laughs> like, like I drink differently. I think yeah, is what it will be. you definitely don't want a hangover. Right. So no. that's, that's something that, you know, I, I mean, I don't get them that often anyways. I, I try to be very, uh, intelligent in in how i drink and like how much so that i don't get things i don't like them but still you know every once in a while they happen and i've just you know been led to believe that if it accidentally happens in the future i'm going to regret it greatly (laughs) so parenting hungover no fun and parenting with a very with a newborn is like could be a could be a thing that happens at any moment of day or night so you kind of got to keep it i think a little bit uh you gotta keep it a little bit restrained but the flip side is like as I think I've said on the pod a number of times, there is a satisfaction I derive from the drink I have after my children are asleep that uh, I'm not sure any other drinking occasion in my life can quite match. It's right. not necessarily better. It's just, you know, it's special. It's like, this is my time. Exactly. Oh, you yeah. will come to know soon. <laughs> um. So, yeah. So th- what we want to talk about is actually a, a conversation is based around another guy's listener email y'all are the best emailing in like crazy uh so yeah keep keep emailing questions so a listener um emailed us and said the, the subject line was on like do you think this is the future of the espresso martini and basically what they were talking about was we've covered this now for the public for vine pair as well um kettle one so first of all i want to say i think this is effing brilliant like, I can't believe that no one has done this yet. So Kettle One made a machine that all you do is add Kettle One, Kahlua, or your other coffee liqueur. I'm assuming now that Diageo owns Mr. Black, they'll probably start telling you to use Mr. Black. Yeah. Um, but it was those two things. What else do you add, Zach? Oh, and, and cold brew concentrate. Yes. Yeah to the machine in the proportions that it tells you to add them. So it's, you know, your your proportions. And then... The machine, you plug the machine in and put it behind the bar. And it kind of, look, it's about. It seems to me from the pictures and videos I've looked I looked at, it looks like as big as an espresso, like a, a, a espresso machine that a bar would normally have, anyways, or as like big as like those Jaeger machines. That's the first thing I thought of when I saw it. Yeah, yeah, you know, for for pulling the, for pulling the cold Jaeger shots. So you put it on the back bar, and. It plugs in and it generates its own nitrogen, which I'm kind of unclear how it does that, but it says it generates its own nitrogen. And you pull the tap like you would pour a tap of beer and it pulls the perfect espresso martini with a beautifully foamed head, cold. And then all you do, and I guess it it must somehow dilute a little bit, right? Because that, that's what you're losing with the shaking. So I'm sure, sure. that there's also, I'm sure you add water as well. But in this in this write up, it didn't say that you added water. But there's no way you're not also adding water. And uh, and then all the the bartender has to do is add three coffee beans at the top, and you can make an espresso martini in f- what is twenty seconds. 
takes yeah. 20 seconds to pour this espresso martini into the martini glass. And it can take many, many minutes to make a real espresso martini. And this has been the big issue for bartenders is like, they all like it because it sells, but they also all hate it because it's a very involved drink. Like you have to pull a shot of espresso. You have to, you know, or you have to go add the coffee and then you put on the shakers and it has to be shaken fresh because you were, you're trying to get that head. And so yeah. the, you know, the question we have is like, do you think this is the future for this drink? And I mean, also what's brilliant is like, this is obviously a, um, a marketing ploy by, by cuddle one. I'm sure like it's a, a, I think it's like around a 12 or $1,300 machine, but you get the bar gets it for free, obviously. Right. If they probably yeah. buy enough kettle one, um, yeah, you would have to think so. Or some kind of discounted rate. I don't know how that, what, yeah, what's bars, the, for those of you who weren't aware, bars were not paying for those Jägermeister dispensers. Let's be very clear. Yeah, you get it for free. So I was, uh, I don't know. What do you think? I, I think it's, I, dude, brilliant. And again, like I said, I'm shocked that another vodka brand did not create this already. I mean, but just fucking brilliant. <laughs> yeah. No, I think for the, for this specific application here, I think this is a, a, a cool idea. I think there's, there's a lot that I want to say about this more broadly in a minute about kind of like this, these sort of time saving steps slash, you know, possibly tiptoeing into the conversation around automation in bars. Because I think they're, the, the sort of outlook is a little bit murkier. But I think that to come back to the specifics of this, I think it's basically, you know, again, yeah, the Jaeger machine is kind of, I think, the best analogy because it's its success and its sort of long-term utility and, and sort of outlook are connected to does the espresso martini remain popular enough to necessitate a machine behind your bar? Because in this moment now, if you're selling 100 espresso mm-hmm. martinis a night, absolutely – if in two years you're selling six, well, you're not going to take up bar sp- – even if it was free, you're not going to take up valuable real estate with a machine that gets used on occasion. You know, you'll make those ones by hand. That's just what you'll have to do. So you know, there's a question about whether this specific trend will last. I think there are reasons to think that the espresso martini will probably have some staying power. I think sometimes drinks just kind of – you know, it, it had its first kind of run at it, but without the social media photographic kind of – oomph behind it in the early 2000s it just kind of i don't think it grew to the point where it could have and now i think it will be it will probably remain a sort of after dinner slash kind of going out cocktail staple because it does what it does really well and it's got a lot of appeal to a wide range of drinkers so in that sense i think yeah great great machine or great idea will definitely say you know in bars that are selling a lot of these i think it will save a lot of time Mm -hmm. i think the question is you know, for you, Adam, is to what extent do you think the appeal of the espresso martini as a drink is about the idea, whether people acknowledge this or not, that it is kind of a pain in the ass for the bartender? I've always wondered if, you know, like when I was bartending, every once in a while we get a call for a Spanish coffee. And for those of you who haven't made it before or had it before, Spanish coffee is a great drink that requires the bartender to like light r- overproof rum on fire while they're making it. Like it's a process. And, um, inevitably well almost always whenever i would get one ordered people at the bar would be like "Ooh, what's that and then you find yourself making like five of them yeah which fucking sucks because it's time consuming and yes like most people i enjoy lighting things on fire but you know it gets it gets old when you got a, a rail full of tickets backing up and i think that part of the reason people liked ordering it was because they liked watching me work you know part of the reason you sit at the bar is like to watch the bartender do their thing and so there's a part of me of wonders if people are going to be like turned off by the idea of a espresso martini that comes off a tap in the same way that i think there are people who don't order you know like 
kegged or pre-batched cocktails in some cases because they're like, well, I want the bartender to make my drink fresh, right? I don't just want them to put a glass down there, pour something out of a bottle or spigot or whatever uh, and move on. So I think that it there's maybe some pushback to this, but I think in a lot of places, you know, people are not getting served at the bar directly or just they want the visual appeal. And if the drink can deliver that, then it probably will go far enough. What do you think? So here's where I, where I think it's not going to be an issue. And I think it's going to be readily embraced. So the thing with the express, the espresso martini that's so interesting is it's one of these, co- like it's one of these cocktails that's getting ordered fucking everywhere. At like your high end cocktail bar, at your dive. I mean, I've seen people order at dive bars. I'm like, what are you doing? Which is funny because, like, that's like the, you know, I don't see a lot of people ordering old fashions at dive bars. I don't see a lot of people ordering even traditional martinis at dive bars. But I think what we, what we have to accept is that at least right now in our current, you know, culture, the espresso martini is the Red Bull and vodka. It yeah. is. And so it is what people want to continue to stay out drinking. They want this. I mean, exactly what the quote was, right? Fuck me up and wake me up and fuck me up. That's what they want. And so the, in that regard, like at certain places, this machine will be 100% embraced, right? It's probably going to be much more consistent than what was being made behind the bar in the first place. You know, I'm sure there are certain bartenders that like, as you said, cannot be bothered. Like, oh, fuck this again. And they just get lazy with it because they're busy and they have other things to do. Probably like certain restaurants, right? Where like, like, I could see this, especially like, you know, I mean, so where this has been rolled out initially, and I think it's perfect is Philly. And like Philly has a lot of these like tavern type places, you know, where there's a restaurant, but there's also a bar scene. You know what I'm talking about? And at those places, I'm sure they get a lot of espresso martinis. We're just like, look, I'm also, yes, I have a bunch of regulars sitting here just drinking at the bar, not eating dinner, but I'm also in charge of like getting the drinks out for all of the people in the restaurant who want wine by the glass and shit. And like, if I could just avoid making an espresso martini and I could just pour it from a draft, that would be awesome. Um, and as long as those espresso martinis stay affordably priced, right? I don't think anyone's going to have an issue with it, right? If it's a 10 or a $12 espresso martini, I'm fucking here for it. I think the issue will be if if bars, certain bars are like, this is a $20 espresso martini, and you see it pulled from draft, you're kind of like, um, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, I, I, I think that's where people will start to have issue. But in in general, I actually, I feel like most people are going to be like, I'm totally fine with this. You're giving me a drink that is way more delicious than I think you could make because of all the other factors. And it's coming very fast. And I can order multiple of them. And my group of 10 can now just get around in, what would that be? Like three minutes? That's yeah. that's dope. I'm here for that. Two and a half minutes, right? Like, I, I definitely... Think that's where it's going to work, but at a high end cocktail bar, no. I'm 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 sorry to the bartenders at PDT and you know Death and Go stuff. First of all, they would never allow this machine in their in their bar anyway, so yeah, it's fine. But like, they're still going to make it, and I'm sure they're the ones that be like, God, this, we have this amazing program, and like, you just want an espresso martini, like you should go to the bar down the block that has the machine. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. But in the other bars i think it's i think it's great the, the but i do think you will have the bigger conversation will be overpriced right how much is someone willing to pay for that right exactly. I, I do i do think that's the issue but dude so many cocktails especially at a lot of these you know big format bars that are all built that are built for speed are batched anyways and the yeah. consumer usually doesn't know it so 
well, because those are not the kind of bar where someone sits at the bar and pays attention to the bartender, right? You're there at a table with your friends or you're packed in. The bar is like the place where you fight your way to the front to get a drink. There aren't people like sitting there watching the bartender execute their craft. No. Like, you know where else I think that this is brilliant is like the airport bar. Yeah. Like, do you know how many people when I was in the Delta Lounge, I saw ordering espresso martinis and the bartender and it was like a lot for these bartenders, you know, in the Sky Lounge because they're like, oh, great. Like, oh, now I've got to do this. And it's, you know, people are traveling for business and there's a bunch of people who are just who just literally probably want like whiskey on the rocks or, you know, a scotch and soda or well, that's that's an older school drink, but you know, of, oh, a, a, you know, a gin and tonic or something. And now here I am making an espresso martini for this group of people that are on their way to holiday or something and want to be really awake for this flight while also being fucked up. And there again, it's perfect. Like put it behind the bar, let it do its thing and go. I, I wonder if they've patented this or I wonder if this is patentable. Mm-hmm. It's very smart. Yeah, I mean, I'm very curious, too, about, like, the, you know, to to broaden this conversation out just a little bit for a little while. One is, you know, I was thinking about this when we saw this news, and I was like, what, are there any other drinks where this would make any kind of sense, right? Is there anything else that's, like, combination popular enough and time-consuming enough to be, like, a thing that would make any sense? And, I mean, you're not going to find, like, a Ramos gin fizz machine, even if inventing one would save bartenders some trouble, but obviously that drink is not popular enough to be to necessitate a a special construction. And I thought, oh, well, actually, the answer to this is something that already exists, which is like, you know, the various slushy machines that exist to make frozen drinks, right? Like blending a drink by hand takes more time and you get less consistency. And so like the the frozen margarita machines and stuff are already like the predecessor to this in a lot of ways, along Mm -hmm. with obviously the the Jaeger boxes or whatever we call them. The other thing, though, is, you know, to what extent does... You know, we've talked about this in a few ways in, in the pod before, but like, are we seeing, you know, the other reason for these things being appealing and perhaps being more and more prevalent is, as we keep talking about on the pod, you know, there are real labor issues in the service industry. It's harder for places to staff and anything that allows for, ex- you know, sort of expediting service, making it less labor intensive in certain ways is going to have an audience. And I don't know that, you know, we've seen various things from, you know, uh, robot bartenders to drink machines that will make a wider array of drinks. I'm not, I think those are like tech questions that I'm not equipped to answer. I've tried a couple of the drinks machines and been, I'd say like whelmed by their response. Like the drinks are fine, uh, but they're not great. And they sort of have an awkward, like, you know, for home use, they're kind of awkwardly priced where it's like Mm -hmm. more expensive than just buying the ingredients and making it yourself, even if it's less expensive, of course, than going out and getting the same drink at a bar. But I do wonder, you know, to what extent we see, you know, these kinds of things, are they just one-off kind of like, oh, that's a cute machine that we use for a single drink? Or does it, you know, are we thinking we're going to see bars? Again, you know, you mentioned airport bars. I think of those as being an example where undeniably the concessionaires that own those and operate those would love to have less staff because you know they're they you know that that's probably their biggest well rent but outside of rent probably their biggest expense and if they could replace a you know a bartender with a machine they would probably gladly do so totally i don't know i think i think this whole thing is really uh just amazing i i i've i and and i think what also makes this really cool for me is that this to me is different than like the rtds right because That I've always pushed back against. People have been like, well, you know, why? And again, I think in certain settings, again, the airport bar, concert venues, et cetera, like 
I'm a huge fan of the tip top uh, espresso martini. Like I think that's a great move because you can sell those in there. All the bartender has to do is pop the can, pour it into the shaker with ice, shake it so that it gets the foamy head and hand it to the consumer. Um, and so again, that's, that's probably another solution, but like in the bar bar setting where you, you want to feel like it was at least made. I mean, come on, man, back in the kitchen, they're batching shit, you know, like yeah. that's, that's not, that's not all happening. You know, when you order this fancy pasta, they're not chopping the carrots and the, you know, and things like things in the airfoil, like right then. That's all ready to go and probably already done. And they're just assembling. So, you know, I think that as we're becoming more and more aware of these kinds of things, it's it's not the worst idea for these to exist. Again, as long as it feels as long as you're right place, right time, right setting price fairly. Right. Again, I know people who have a huge issue with like batch cocktails and even fancy cocktail bars. Like, oh, this was batch. I didn't see you make it. I don't want to pay $25. Again, I don't have that big of a problem with that as long as like it's high quality ingredients and it's something I can't get elsewhere. You know, like a batch Negroni at a high quality bar. I'm kind of like, come on, man. But like these other ones, I, I get, you know, some signature cocktail that it's just going to, it's going to make it a lot easier and more consistent for it to have been batched. I'm good with that. Like, you know, I, I, we talked a bunch about like Hawksmoor. Hawksmoor's, you know, martin, gin martini that they serve at like negative seven degrees. But they serve that. That's a batch cocktail. Sure. But it's a delicious. And it would have to be to be to be a thing that they could serve. Exactly. And and that's kind of what makes it even cooler. So I, I really don't have a problem uh, with those things as long as we – it, we're out in the open about it all. And so this to me is that same kind of thing. Like, and you can see it right on the bar. It's a great, it, it's a great advertisement. Now, my one thing I've always wondered about, maybe someone who's in the industry can fill us in on this. Like, so if you take the machine in and you get it for, you get it from the brand, what happens if you decide like down the road that you don't want to use kettle one, right? Cause it's not like it won't not work. Yeah. Like, are you required to, is that weird? Do people do that? Do people do that with Jaeger machines? Like, poured other cold things out of it like i get that the machine's fully branded kettle one espresso martini so you're hoping that like the person just realizes like maybe we should just keep kettle one in it but you could see certain places being like ah fuck it (laughs) put whatever we we want to in here is there like a thing could you lose the machine could they take it back i that's a good Mm -hmm. question we'll have to write in i have one question which is is the uh, vine pair bar getting one of these look diageo if you listen, you want to send us an espresso martini bar, I mean m- machine, we will totally take it. We will put it <laughs> on the bar. We will make espresso martinis. I'm not a big espresso martini fan. I'm not like I don't like the whole heart beating out of my chest thing. That's not for me. Well, to come full circle, Adam, you will be by the time baby teeter is here. Dude, this is why I've also never done and will never do cocaine. I'm just like not interested in that shit. Like I just don't Well, amen to that. <laughs> you know, I don't need it, but some people love it. So you know, <laughs> just, just I, I, I think you, everyone can tell who listens. I have enough energy already. That's true. I, I kind of don't need all these other things, but I'm sure there's some members of the staff that would love an espresso martini machine. We could have an espresso martini party. Just yeah. like, let us know. I guess it's ryanpair.com. Kettle one, hit us up. Give us that espresso martini machine. Uh, or if anyone else who listens is making an espresso martini machine, we'll take it. Or if you have any other kind of cool drinks machines, I'm, I think all this, I think innovation is really cool. And I think what's happening in spirits with stuff like this is really interesting. So hit us up. Let us know. Zach, I'll speak to you Friday. Everyone else, have a great week. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. 
the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So the Vine Pair podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington in Zach Chabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire Vine Pair staff and everyone who's been involved in making Vine Pair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.